Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Caris, and you're in for a really special episode of the podcast today as we welcome back Osmosis's co-founder and Raise the Line host, Shiv Gaglani, to discuss some very big news for him and for Osmosis. In fact, he's joining me today from Baltimore, Maryland, where he has started the process of finishing his medical degree at Johns Hopkins. And as many of you know, that's something that he put on hold about a decade ago to start and grow the company. And Shiv, I think even for those who are somewhat familiar with your story, it would make sense to have you start by explaining what happened during your initial med school experience, why you decided to create osmosis, and then why you decided to leave Hopkins to grow it. Yeah, so um, some people may be familiar with, you know, in the U.S., med school is four years. Typically, it's two years preclinical or didactic and two years of clinical. And so there is this natural juncture point in med school between your preclinical and clinical. And during that time is when a lot of people leave to do their Ph.D. or maybe they get an MPH or an MBA. That's also typical between your third and fourth year of med school. Um, so for me, the plan was always to leave med school for two years and do my MBA because I actually applied to Hopkins Med and and Harvard Business School at the same time in college, got into both. And so the plan was to do three years of med school at Hopkins, leave, do my two-year MBA, and then come back. Obviously, um, I think Eisenhower said, planning is everything, but plans are nothing. (laughs) Mike Mike Tyson also said, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And so (laughs) my my version of getting punched in the face was in the first year and a half, well, first couple of weeks of med school, I was like, wow, this this is a great institution, obviously, at Hopkins. We have great mentors, great researchers, great, great clinicians. But the way we're teaching people is pretty antiquated. And that's across all med schools, I found. It's lecture-based. It's passive learning. Um, the professors aren't trained to be educators. And back then, flipped classroom wasn't in the vernacular in medical education. Uh, it was starting to get in the vernacular because of Khan Academy in K-12. And I had a, a background in education uh, my co-founder, Ryan, who's my anatomy partner, had a background in neuroscience as a PhD. And so we started just kind of wanting to solve our own problem. This was like fall 2011. And then we started hacking around and built what would become osmosis. Um, and between our second and third year, we had this natural jumping off point, as I mentioned, where we got into this tech incubator called Dream and Health, moved to Philadelphia and started building this company. Um, I still went to business school and did my two years you met my mother, Michael, you know that she actually said, you've already kind of dropped out of med school. If you don't go to HBS and finish your MBA, we're going to have to have a real reckoning here. Um, so I went and did it and it was good She advice. seems like such a sweet person, but I'm sure there's a ramrod steel backbone there that you have to confront from time to time. It definitely, I mean, she's definitely mellowed out over time, but, and she is sweet. It's good intention, well-intentioned advice. And she she was right. I mean, the HBS was a wonderful experience and really helped us succeed with osmosis because actually the first money and advisors I got from that were my business school professors from HBS. And that obviously helped us grow and helped osmosis reach the stage it's at right now. So anyways, went full time onto osmosis after business school in 2016. And we grew it basically five years straight and went from about four employees to over a hundred employees. We went from a couple thousand users and maybe like a handful of med schools that had bought it to now we have over 3 million registered learners and over 200 institutions all around the world that have used osmosis. Um, and we were acquired by Elsevier a year and a half ago, as mentioned. And so that gave me the freedom uh, because up until then, I was basically the person running osmosis, the CEO. 
now that it's part of such a storied legacy company that's been around for 140 years, you know, 14 times as long as Osmosis has, it felt very comfortable handing off the reins for day-to-day management to Derek, uh, who's our COO, and Hillary, who's run our people team and culture team for a long time, and um, basically taking a step back and figuring out what's next. And fortunately, again, just like Year of the Zebra, uh, Jan Herzog, Elizabeth Munn, Kumsel, Bayezid have all been very supportive of my personal goal to go back and finish med school uh, while continuing to kind of consult and be engaged with Elsevier and Osmosis. So I'm not like leaving Osmosis. I'm more just changing my role where I'm not managing anybody and I'm just going diving back into the day-to-day of being a med student. So when you look back at all of this, what do you think the key insights were that you and Ryan had about medical education and how you wanted to change it, and have you done it? Do you, you know, how would you assess the impact of osmosis? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Um, I think the key insights were several. One was that we talk about evidence-based medicine and uh, doing randomized controlled trials and whatnot to make sure we're giving our patients the best treatments and, and, and drugs and procedures available. But not many people at the time, again, were talking about evidence-based education, right? The research was clear on how to how people learn and how people forget and how do you get them to get engaged in their education. But professors weren't being taught how to teach. Um, and so we wanted to bring evidence-based education, tools like spaced repetition, test-enhanced learning, memory palaces, um, you know, flipped classroom to medical education. I think we've all succeeded at doing that. And not just Osmosis, but a lot of other companies, many of whom we're friends with, have come up over the past decade as well and have helped create this category. So uh, there's many companies and even schools now talking about these concepts. So I think we succeeded in helping change, uh, one of many, changing the that. Number two is we want to democratize and improve access to health education. So through partnerships we've done with YouTube, which is one of our big partners, um, the type of accessible video content uh, we've created, you know, work with the CDC, National Organization for Disorders, Year of the Zebra, we've not only created curriculum to help augment or replace parts of medical school, nursing school, PA school, but we've made it available in other languages too to patients and family members directly. And that's always been a personal goal of mine where, you know, the title of this podcast is Raise the Line, How Do We Train More Healthcare Professionals? But the other part was flatten the curve, right? And not just of COVID, but let's flatten the curve of diabetes. Let's flatten the curve of hypertension. Let's flatten the curve of any preventable chronic disease or infectious disease. And a lot of that depends on patient education and engagement. Uh, so I'm very proud that we didn't just go, hey, here's your step one study material. Here's your NCLEX study material. That's obviously important and we help students succeed with that. But more broadly, we said, okay, here's great content on COVID, on diabetes and hypertension for patients, for family members, so that hopefully they get more engaged. And it's clear if you look at our YouTube comments, we've got over 250 million views on our YouTube videos that patients and family members are learning by osmosis. So I think we succeeded with that. And then the third area is the first peer-reviewed paper we wrote at osmosis was what can medical education learn from Facebook and Netflix? And that was way back in 2014, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, but don't, don't tell Elsevier, that's not in the Elsevier Journal. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> fortunately, the Elsevier Journal Lancet is, is now number one in general medical. Uh, as you know, we had Richard Horton on the podcast. And so the purpose of that was talking about not just improved user experiences, but using big data to recommend content. Just like Facebook will recommend ads to you based on things you like, um, or Netflix will say, hey, you like this TV show, so you may like this movie. We wanted to say, hey, we, we know you want to be a cardiologist. Here's some content that may you may find relevant that gives you a deeper dive. 
here's what your professor does research-wise to give you a deeper dive. Or maybe we think you're a little weak in microbiology. Here's some remedial content. So doing some personalized recommendations. Everything from even asking for confidence before somebody answered a question. That was novel. Uh, Ryan came up with that. And now it's like the standard of a bunch of companies. So in other words, uh, just break that down a little bit. So asking the student or the test taker, how confident are you about answering this next question? Yeah. So we'd show the question and then to answer it, you'd have to say, I'm sure I'm feeling lucky or no clue. Gotcha. Right. Because it isn't just about whether you got it right or wrong. It's not binary. It's especially informative assessment, formative testing, where you're learning, testing for learning. It's how confident you are. Because if you get something wrong, but you were confident about it, you've got to remediate that right away. Whereas if you have a habit of saying no clue, but you get it right, even that is not good because it means that in practice, you may practice defensive medicine, right? Which is not high value medicine because you, you, you just aren't confident in any of your decisions. So we're trying to calibrate your confidence. So that type of data, we wanted to feed back to our learners. I and mean, we wanted we fed back to professors how fast their lectures were being watched. So we could tell a professor, you're on average a 1.8x professor, right? So like students watch you at 1.8x speed. We definitely had some professors who were watched at over two and a half X too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so using data to inform education and not just sell more you know, ads uh, was something we were very interested in. And that's become somewhat of the standard. If you look at most medical education companies, they're using more data, their user experiences are better. Obviously we're a little biased. We still think osmosis is ahead of the curve because we got the head start. But um, those are three examples of things that I think have changed. And I know that osmosis is in better hands because now one of the exciting things to me being able to go back to med school is that with um, people like Adam who runs our product team, you know, they're shipping things that I wasn't even thinking about because they're closer to the customers. And it makes me very proud when like we release a new set of content or release a new feature that people are really benefiting from that I had no part in because that's ultimately, I think the goal of any organization is to outgrow their management team and their CEO so that they can step away and they have a succession planning. So, you know, one of the things that's uh, often highlighted about you is a TEDx talk you gave called, Can You Get a Medical Degree Online? And I'm just wondering along those lines, is there a big vision, a big goal about medical education that you want osmosis to achieve that you haven't yet, whether it's that or something else? Yeah, I think it all boils down again to getting to as many people as possible. So the vision of osmosis for years, we've talked about it, big Harry audacious goal is um, educate a billion people by 2025. We've already achieved over 250 million views of our content. Many of those have been viewed by the same people. So we've estimated about just over 50 million unique people have, have viewed our content. If you count content on Wikipedia that we've put on YouTube and other places, it's probably more. And so we still have a way to go to get to a billion. And I think one of the big things will be more partnerships with, you know, just last week for Rare Disease Day, the CEO of YouTube tweeted out about the year of the zebra and about osmosis, which is really cool. Um, mm. And that's the number two biggest site in the world, right behind Google. So I think there's more partnerships that'll help us do that. We have this great partnership in India, Project Asha. Over a quarter million community healthcare workers are going to be learning soon with osmosis videos on how to provide uh, community healthcare to 90 million plus people in India. Wow. So we're going to get, and those are in nine different Indian languages. Obviously, I'm Indian, uh, and so I'm very proud. Pretty much nothing to do with this project, but it's going off the ground because of Elsevier and other teammates at Osmosis and the Diffusion Studios team. So I'm very excited about those kind of things and kind of watching them. The other thing that gets me really excited, as you know, Michael, and anyone who's listened to the Raiseline podcast is all the AI work that's being done. 
Yeah. I think in the next three, four years, all of our content will be automatically translated with high fidelity into all these languages. So anybody anywhere, whether you're in Turkmenistan or Trinidad and Tobago, you're going to be able to watch osmosis in your native tongue. Um, and I think that's just going to be done through automation. So I think a lot of this is just natural evolution of technology that's going to help us reach our goals. But we clearly don't want to lose our edge and want to keep innovating on behalf of our learners. Well, I have no doubt the innovation will keep. There's a culture of innovation created that it's an engine that keeps running, you know. Um, so on more of a personal level, what is it like to be back in Baltimore? And you've just dipped your toe into some classes. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I actually forgot how much I missed Baltimore. Baltimore is great. Uh, it's very close to Philly, D.C., New York. So it's cool to be back on the East Coast and just take a train ride to any of these cities. Um, many of my favorite restaurants have survived the pandemic because I moved out of Baltimore in late 2019 before the pandemic, and I haven't been back since February. Then it's it's kind of interesting being uh, the older guy in the class. There are definitely older people <laughs> in my class and in the classes below and above me. Um, but uh, I started with the class of 2015 at Hopkins. And now I'm in the class of 2025. And so one of my <laughs> new classmates uh, actually said, when, when I told them, she asked me, when did I start med school? I said, 2011. And she's like, I was 13 <laughs> in 2011. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that was kind of wow. funny. Um, but then again, we've had people like Lisa Sanders in the podcast who started med school at 37. It's not, not returned to med school at 34 like I'm doing. So, it, you know, that's one piece of advice is like everyone has a different career. There's no rush to finish med school or any part of the training. It's as long as you're having a good time doing what you're doing, I think you, you go for it. Let's see. As far as relearning, I'm actually very happy, one, how much knowledge has stuck because I've used osmosis along the way, but also just, you know, it's like riding a bike. So remembering how to do a surgeon's knot, remembering how to do CPR, these things uh, kind of come back to you. Um, number two is I'm using osmosis day to day. Right. Like, I ha and that's, and that's so cool. That's one of the most exciting things about the whole going back to med school is I'm relying on osmosis as my primary resource to complete medicine. I'm betting my medical degree on it. And I have that much confidence in what we've built that uh, this is my primary resource. So I'm basically watching a couple hours of osmosis every week. And at the closer we get to step one, which I have to take later this year, most likely, I'll be watching a couple hours every day, answering our questions et cetera, et cetera. Um, fortunately, I've gotten free access to osmosis. And, <laughs> so. and also, fortunately, step one's pass-fail now, right? It's pass-fail, so the pressure's a little lower. Um, <laughs> but even if it wasn't, I think it would be in good hands because I also have clinical key students and complete anatomy. And I'm friends with all the other people who've developed other products, but I probably won't use, use them. So that's been good. Uh, I think overall, it's been affirming. I, I also, Michael, small world, as you know, we like to name drop on this podcast, uh, your brother taught one of the classes I was auditing on ethics and medical legal cases. So I got to meet your brother, Dr. Joe Carice, uh, and he was really gracious in letting me uh, into his class. You know, it was kind of um, a world colliding moment when you sent me the photo of you and Joe together. I was like, because I've never met you in person. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I'm like, this sort of doesn't seem fair that my brother Joe's meeting you <laughs> before I get to meet you in person. But yeah, Joe has been affiliated with Hopkins for decades now and has always spoken very highly of it and um, loves that mix that academic physicians have in their lives and seek out and obviously enjoy, which is the teaching piece of it and seeing patients and doing research. And in his case, he's specialized in, in ethics, as you mentioned. So that was pretty cool. I hope he's, you know, hard on you. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> so what are you thinking about in terms of 
a specialization because this is sort of the time in med school when you got to start thinking about that. I, and I guess I'd also like to know what were you thinking about 10 years ago as a specialty and has that changed? Yeah. And so I've met so many friends of mine from the first time I was in med school, even to now, who started thinking, you know, I'm going to be a psychiatrist, and then they left as a trauma surgeon, right? And so it, that seems to be the rule, not the exception, where like, when you come in thinking one thing, and then because um, you have a mentor, because you actually do the rotations, you change course, sometimes 180 degrees. And so I'm, I'm not being very committal about what I want to go through. I'm starting with the women's health rotation this summer, um, but I'm going to leave it to all my clerkships to figure out. Uh, initially I was thinking like emergency medicine, largely because I know myself that I like to create things. I like to go from zero to one and build scalable solutions. And most of the people I know who've done that, um, you know, if you look at 10 different physician entrepreneurs, I would say five to seven of them are emergency medicine because they have predictable shift work and they are able to kind of schedule their time. That being said, now I, I don't feel that pressure. I feel like I could go into many, any field. Um, and because of the entrepreneurial background, figure out a way to make make it happen. What currently interests me the most is psych neuro, um, somewhere in that connection, because that obviously got me interested in osmosis in the first place, is the, you know, how the brain works, how we can improve the brain's cognition, both through, you know, taking different substances, but also technology. That's what osmosis was built on, these evidence-based educational principles. And now, as you know, on the podcast, we've had people, you know, talk about artificial intelligence. We've had people talk about psychedelics for mental health. Hopkins has one of the leading centers for psychedelic studies. Many of the most seminal research papers that kind of birthed the psychedelic renaissance have come from Hopkins. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think right now I'm leaning very heavily towards doing an elective with them and, and figuring that part out, both for applications to osmosis and Elsevier and learning and thriving, but also for applications well beyond you know education. What about rare diseases, uh, seeing as you've gotten so deep into that? Is that in your future? I'm definitely going to be spotting, working to spot rare disease patients along the way, and we've developed obviously a lot of material for them. There's no real like specialty where you go just into rare diseases. So if I choose psych neuro, obviously looking for um, people who have zebra conditions, because again, that's one of the promises of the zebras is when you work with these specific patient groups, it's so um, gratifying how much they care and they are model patients because you're throwing them a, a life preserver in really choppy stormy waters. But number two, if you do the work on it and uh, are systematic about it, the discoveries you make for that condition could yield discoveries for other more common conditions too. So it's very possible, but I've always been more the scaling person, translational person, as opposed to the bench science person. So even if I go into a specific rare disease, uh, most likely I'll be on the side of, you know, hey, here's some great research that's already been done. Let's make sure that gets to the people who need it, as opposed to doing the actual like bench research on it. Right, right. You know, I'm curious, there is kind of a undercover boss element to this whole thing because you're using osmosis. Um, and it makes me wonder if you plan to stay involved in trying to improve medical education and in the whole ed tech space. 100%. I mean, you can't turn this off. Um, and yeah, I've actually, since I've been studying with osmosis already, our content team have started seeing a lot of chats come in for me where I'm like, oh, I love this great video. Thank you for this. But then sometimes like, oh, I see a typo here or like not, mm -hmm. not, not too nitpicky, but trying to improve it because since I'm going through it anyways, I might as well make it the best project we can. So there's definitely that. I'm hoping that our content team will, will release the great uh, upcoming clinical practice series 
in the order that I would be going, <laughs> not, not just because that'll, of me, that'll but that'll help you the most. <laughs> well, actually, a bit. Like, I mean, I, I kind of <laughs> that'll help us all the most. But yeah, that'll definitely help me <laughs> uh, get through it. Uh, again, to vote a conference to them and the product they're building that I want to use it uh, to get through medicine. I'll put a word in for you. With <laughs> <it too. laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll still be on Slack. One other more broad uh, kind of note, and this could be part of the advice thing. I know we're going to talk about is I know it's going to be super frustrating. And one like message I've given to to Hopkins, to uh, my classmates, to my parents, now to you, is that while I fully intend to go back and finish med school, that's the goal, I only got through two years before, before starting osmosis, and I'm very happy I went through that path and started osmosis. So it's very possible that in three months, six months, one year, I say, hey, I think this is a better opportunity for my skill set to start this AI company or psychedelic company or, or to work with Elsevier and XYZ. And so it's possible I may not finish. And I want that to be clear because, um, you know, people ask me often, like, how is it going to be not being the boss anymore? Or how is it going to be having to study all day, every day again? or doing scut work, right? Where someone who's younger than you, a resident is telling you to do, you know, X, Y, Z. And I think all that stuff is good. Like I'm very stoic in, in mind, as you know, and I think it's good practice and taking these emotions that you typically feel and turning them into productive outcomes. So two examples of emotions that I want to turn into productive outcomes. One is fear, right? So we did simulations uh, two weeks ago where you enter a room and there's a baby mannequin, like a mannequin baby, and you're with five other med students. And then suddenly the the baby mannequin starts coding. Uh, you see the ECG is supraventricular tachycardia, which, you know, I haven't reviewed in a while. Most med students forgot that that existed because they did the cardiology block a year ago. Obviously, in that moment, we're all fearful. We know it's not a real baby, but if that actually happened, we're, it's pretty scary. And so, you know, we do the simulation. Unfortunately, the baby didn't make it because none of us knew how to respond. But then we learn and then the next simulation, we save the baby. So on the other side of fear is growth, right? And that's not just in medicine, but in any any capacity. And so I'm going to be hyper-attuned to the things that make me fearful, whether it's like doing a procedure, like placing an IV or taking step one, you know, uh, things that make me fearful. I just reminding myself that on the other side of that fear is growth. And then the other piece is frustration, right? So I'm pretty easily frustrated by things. That's part of the entrepreneurial kind of bent. Um, so I was really frustrated by how inefficient lectures were, hence osmosis is one, one thing. So I'm going to be really looking for things that frustrate me. Like, why is this EHR so broken? Why are these my fellow med students or, or residents or attending spending so much time in documentation when ChatGPT exists these days? You know, wh- like, why are these things existing? And so taking in a journal, like noting down these this emotion of frustration, because on the other side of frustration is uh, opportunity to help make things better. So I'm literally looking at the two Fs, fear and frustration, and ways that we can overcome those, um, which again makes me feel like maybe I'll only last six months before starting something else <laughs> within Elsevier <laughs> or outside of it. But my hope is I'll actually finish this time. It'd be very hard to explain to my parents that I'm dropping out again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the one talking about that. <laughs> it just occurred to me, we do, I'm not sure if there's a betting pool at Osmosis <laughs> about whether you finish or not. I might have to start. <laughs> Please. Um so as you alluded to, and as our regular listeners know, we always like to end with advice. And I think in your case particularly, it's, you know, what advice would you have to the med students and other health professions, learners, and early career folks, particularly with entrepreneurship in mind? What are your big takeaways in that regard? Yeah, I think people often assume 
like they, they become very fixed mindset and have an identity of like, Hey, I'm a doctor. I can't be an entrepreneur or I'm a med student. I have to wait. Clearly that's not the case, not just because of me, but many other examples of people who, who left. And I think they have this fixed kind of mentality where once you get on a moving walkway, you can't get off of it. And that's sometimes true. Maybe you have to actually drop out of med school. I was fortunate with Hopkins where I could just defer and not have to go back and redo it. But even if I had to go back and redo it, right, there are people who leave and then go back and finish. I have a friend whose dad finished law school at 79. Wow. Um, so we've had Lisa Sanders. We had that gentleman who was a Buddhist monk for years and then went to medicine. So like, I think that's one thing I've learned even from this podcast is like, there's no linear, there's no right. There's, it's not like grades in college or high school where you have to get an A because there's one way to solve the life. Like here, you can zigzag and the career changes. So I think that's one thing to remember is you could take a take an off-ramp, come back, et cetera. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I think the, the two real timeless pieces of advice I like to give people that are not contextual, because all advice is contextual. Should you leave? Should you stay? All that stuff depends on the context and who you are, and there's no right or wrong. But the two pieces of advice that I think transcend context are relationships, right? So I just think that building strong relationships and meaningful relationships is always a winning formula for happiness, right? Because if you have people who support you, like I've had people at Hopkins or Osmosis or Elsevier who are just, we like each other, they respect, they trust, um, good things come your way and vice versa. You just feel happier about the people you're with. So just investing in building those relationships and it doesn't have to be hundreds. It could be two, it could be five, it could be one. Or it could be hundreds. Whatever you're capable of doing, I think building relationships is is valuable. Number two is uh, reading, right? So I really think what changed the trajectory of osmosis, there were a lot of things, but I think that the period between late 2017 to tw early 2019 was an explosive year for us, partially because of the compounding and luck and whatnot. But I think a lot of it too is I started reading a lot during that time. I wrote about this for Forbes, Seed Habits, Planning Your Seed Habits, doing strength training and reading a ton of audiobooks. And some of these books, they shaped our culture. They shaped uh, what we we're trying to do. They shaped my personal philosophy. Um, I still read a lot. And the reading is such an easy kind of growth hack to take someone's life, like Marcus Aurelius, his decades of experience 2,000 years ago, and automatically add that experience to your life, right? You're getting wiser, but not older. Um and so I think just reading as much as possible. If anybody ever feels lost, just start picking up books and then the people you read will recommend other books. And if you just go down that rabbit hole, like within a couple of months, uh, maybe less, you'll develop some wisdom that I think will help you whatever you're facing. Because the problems you're facing generally are not unique. There are 8 billion people who live now. There have been over 100 billion people who've lived in the world. And many of the greatest thinkers have written books that have transcended centuries, have survived for centuries. And so the solutions you're looking for are probably in those books. You're like a poster child for lifelong learning. <laughs> that's, that's one of the great things about you. You're always so curious. So it makes you a great host of this show. And uh, I know, you know, osmosis is a huge legacy to already have as a relatively young person, but it's not anywhere near the end of the legacy you're going to have. And if I could just make one note about Raise the Line, the podcast is teeny little piece of what you've accomplished at osmosis, but it has been just an amazing journey with you on this for three years, and I feel just very, very fortunate to have had the experience to produce it with you, and I, I really think we're doing the audience 
um, a service and helping them to sort of get a scan of everything that's going on and what they're stepping into and maybe where they can fit into this new world of healthcare. So with that, I will just say thanks for allowing me the opportunity to be part of this. And we're all wishing you all the luck in the world on this incredible adventure you're on. Thanks so much, Michael. And you know the feeling is mutual. I mean, I've launched a lot of initiatives at Osmosis, and I think the podcast is easily one of the best and one of the greatest experiences. I joke with all my teammates that I think I spend the most time with you because I've done so many Raise the Line <laughs> <Right>. podcasts. <laughs> I'm sure the audience is getting tired of all of this, so we're gonna <laughs> we'll leave it there. But Shiv, uh, again, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story and your perspective, and, and good luck down there in Baltimore. Thanks so much, Michael. Take care. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And as always, remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>